0: Amen. Thanks, you guys. I was reading an article in the LA Times that came out a couple weeks ago about a neurobiologist from Stanford named Robert Saporsky, and he wrote a book called Determined, because in his research, he has come to the conclusion that none of our choices are truly choices that there's no such thing as a free will, that everything that we do is determined by a combination of our biology, our genetics, the environment that we're in. His ultimate conclusion is no one should ever be rewarded for doing something right, and no one should ever be punished for doing something wrong, because it's all determined outside of ourselves. Now, I should mention that the vast majority of neurobiologists disagree with Siporsky. I should also mention that the research that he did was 30 years in Africa with baboons, but <laughs> it made front page news because it's such a radical suggestion. The truth is, although we are certainly influenced, none of our decisions are made apart from various influences, at the same time, the greatest gift that humans have As God created us, he created us with the capacity to make choices. To make choices that actually help determine our future. And it's the most ennobling thing about humans. It may not be true with baboons. But with humans, uh, we have the choice to do something today that can actually make tomorrow better. And the Bible teaches this very clearly. But for many of us, we never learned this and we especially don't learn how to do it. Because we might look at it and go, yeah, but how do you know? I can always look back and say, wow, if I had bought this stock when it was $5 a share, look how rich I would be right now. But the real trick is, how do I know what to do now that will make tomorrow better? It's Obvious that that is potentially true, but how do you actually do it? And if you knew that you could do it, wouldn't that make you a lot happier today? And so the psalm that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 1, goes into that. And We're in a series called Verses for Life, where I'm picking out, and Justin and I are both picking out, passages that we think you could live by this verse. This verse has so much to it, or these verses have so much to it, that they can add a richness to our life. They're definitely worth memorizing, and I would encourage you to memorize each of the passages that we look over. And I could do the whole first psalm. It's definitely worth learning. But the first three verses is where I want to focus our attention on. It's so relevant. Because it starts out with blessed, and that word in the Hebrew, just there are some scholars who say it should be translated bliss, but it means happiness. Now, there are other Hebrew words for blessing where, like, God blessed the people. That's a different word. But this word, you can translate it happy, and you're pretty close to right on. So it starts off with that, and verse 3 ends with, you will be prosperous. You'll be successful. So in some ways, when we look at this verse, we're going to be talking about how to find prosperity, but it's not going to be by giving your money to me so I can buy a jet. (laughs) It's going to be because you're figuring out what your life is and walking in the fullness of everything that God has for you. Nothing will make you more happy. Nothing will make you more successful than that. And so within these three verses, we see a core of information that can make our lives more happy and more successful more prosperous so but he starts off it's interesting verse 1 starts off with three negative things now that seems pretty negative <laughs> you know it's like okay you're happy if you don't do this don't do this don't do this oh boy that's what i figured a bunch of do's and don'ts well no he he zeroes in on three things that ultimately stand in the way of our finding everything that God wants us to experience. Let's face it, most of the time when we aren't happy, it's not just because of what we're not doing, it's because of what brought us to the point of being unhappy. And so he says, filter these out of your life as much as you can. So blessed, happy is the person who, number one, Doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, that Hebrew word there for ungodly, it doesn't have anything to do with God per se, but the word really just means wrong. So essentially, you're not living your life by bad advice, you're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the path of sinners. That word "center" means that you missed it. So you're associating mostly with people who have missed the ultimate meaning in life, the ultimate success that can come from life, the ultimate joy. If you are around miserable people, it'll tend to make you miserable, in other words. Or sit in the seat of the scornful. That word in the Hebrew for scornful means to... It, well, it, it, the best translation of it is... <laughs> As it means literally flapping your lips together, but it's the idea of people who are jaded, like, meh. So you've got to filter these things out of your life. And then he gives us the positive, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, and then the promise that you'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season, its leaf won't weather, and whatever it does will prosper. So those are the three verses that I would suggest you give some attention to this week. So, backing up to the beginning. Happiness? First of all, you have to reject bad advice. We are all full of bad advice. All around us are people who would tell us to do things that end up robbing us of everything that God wants us to have in fact most advice is bad advice so to analyze the advice that you're getting you just have to look at how did that work out but we tend to listen and certainly if you're making a lot of your life decisions based on what you see on the internet or on tv you're listening to bad advice if the advice on there was so good everyone would be happy is everyone happy? Do the people on TV even look like they're happy? So, you know, you filter out, okay, I want to reject any bad advice, any advice that wasn't right. Now, the problem is people have been advising us our whole lives. There are things that people ingrained into us, and I think the older you get, as you begin to look back and reflect and You know this if you're older. You can't remember what day it is, except you're at church. Oh, it must be Sunday. But, man, you can remember things in your childhood that you thought you had completely forgotten. A part of that is because from when we are babies, the programming process begins. We begin to be told who we are, what we are worth, what's important, what isn't. Obviously, there are certain extreme cases where there's a lot of abuse, but a lot of times it's just a question of, you know, you're rewarded for your performance. And so you begin to think that your performance is good. I, I realize that, you know, I love teaching the Bible, and part of it is because, you know, I love the Bible, and I love what it does. But at the same time, I have to be honest that when I was a little kid, The only positive reinforcement I got from either of my parents, my father was schizophrenic, but he was obsessed with the Bible. And so when I taught myself to read, I would read the Bible to my dad. He would take me off into nature and I would read the Bible to him and sing hymns for hours. That's, and my dad loved that. My dad would take me down and have me preach on the street corners when I was two and three years old. He would put me up in front of churches and have me quote scriptures and do Bible drills where it would be me against all the adults in the church, and I could find verses faster than they were, and I felt reinforced by my dad. Now, later, when my dad would be in the mental hospital for a year at a time, that became a problem because I was used to, I was addicted to that approval, and you know, honestly, even years later, partly ministry was feeding. I remember, you know, when Pastor Chuck first asked me to lead the hymns on Sundays. And I always loved the hymns, partly because as a little kid, the only real positive time of my life was sitting out at like Jumbo Rocks or at Yosemite and singing hymns with my dad and reading scripture. So here I have a chance to sing hymns in front of thousands of people. And I also, and I've really never, I don't think I've said this to people very much, but all the 10 years or so that I led the hymns at Calvary, the whole time I was watching the audience, thinking maybe my dad will be here somewhere, because he would go, I hadn't seen him in many years, but it's like, that affects you. But at the same time, there may be things about my need and desire for ministry that I have to reassess based on, Where did that come from? Why am I actually doing what I'm doing? And every one of us has those kinds of stories where somebody programmed us and actually what they were trying to make us, maybe they thought they were trying to make you strong by treating you that way. Maybe they thought they would teach you discipline by the way that they punished you. Or maybe they thought that if they ignored you, that you would just become more self-sufficient, whatever, it doesn't even matter. The whole thing is, for each one of us, if we're going to be happy, we have to understand the programming that's gone into us and say, I want to reject any bad advice or bad programming that went into my life so that I can see what's left, so that I can understand who I really am and what life is really all about. Otherwise, we become slaves to bad input. So, that's why he starts out, okay, first of all, you don't walk in the counsel, in the advice of people who are wrong. You don't get your advice from bad sources. Question everything and your best, you know, your, your best test should be, this person is giving me this advice. Would I wanna become more like this person who's giving the advice? And that'll pretty much eliminate three-fourths of the advice that we get in our lives. Because like, wow, he seems smart. No, that's not the criteria. Are they right? Are they living right? Is their life something that you would want to imitate? So the first filter is get rid of bad advice as much as you can. See it for what it is. Recognize that life starts today. And I don't want anything from the past that has distorted my ability to experience fruitfulness in life to be still affecting me in my future. So I apply that filter. And then stands in the path of sinners. That word sinner means somebody who misses, somebody who doesn't quite get it. Standing in that path, it's amazing how much of our identity and our life and what we become and our fruitfulness and everything else is affected by the people we spend time with. There are some people who have said, and I don't know if it's, you could scientifically verify this, but it makes sense that you will ultimately become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And whether that's technically true or not, it's certainly true That and throughout the Psalms you see this coming up again and again, the people with whom you associate help influence the life that you end up living. If you are around people who, and you know this from when you were a kid, if there was somebody in your family or in your neighborhood who really loved something and you liked them, you got into what they were into. But as life goes on, it becomes harder to actually find people who are a good influence on you because in order for people to be a good influence on you they they kind of some of them need to be at a level that's like where you want to go where you aspire and as you get older it's harder to find people that are as old as you are you know or that but even the people around you younger people can inspire you and you have to understand These people can make a difference in who you become while at the same time. Like the kinds of people that you will meet at church are going to help elevate you in a way that the kinds of people that you meet in a bar may not. Now, there are exceptions. There are certainly some people in bars that would be healthier for you to hang out with than some of the people in church. But across the board, you look at it and go, I need healthy influences in my life, but in order to do that, I have to eliminate some of the hurtful, some of the, some of the people who are missing out from my life. And that's a painful step to take. But it's one of the reasons why we do church, why we think it's important to come to church, why we always allowed people to come to church even while the sky was falling um, during COVID. Because it's like, I don't want to ban people from the kind of connections that can give us a future. Now again, not judging people who didn't or whatever, but it's why we have small groups, it's why we have our women's study, it's why we have our men's studies, it's why we, everything that we try to do, ministry opportunities, everything else, it's why we have coffee, uh, other than to give you a little energy and keep you awake during my long messages. But, and I see you drinking that, okay. but. Uh, no, but, you know, you, you look at it and go, where am I going to find these associations? And, I, I mean, for me, the most valuable associations in my life are people who are pleasant, people who have joy, people who are welcoming. I really, I'm way beyond being benefited by somebody who's really just smart, or who they tell me things that really make me think. What I love, and one of the things I love about coming to church, for instance, is when I come in that door, I see some of our greeters. And we have some greeters here who, it, they probably feel like they're not doing anything. But they smile at you. They, it looks like everything's fine. They're legitimately welcoming you. They'll give you a hug. They'll, and I'm like, you know what? I needed that today more than I realize. There are other people that I know in church that have always something positive to say. They're always encouraging. You know, when I'm talking, they're like sometimes nodding. Don't do that just to placate me. But, you know, there are people in our lives who elevate us. And what the psalmist is saying here is there are also people in our lives that bring us down. And we have to admit that. Now there are some people, like your spouse maybe, maybe they bring you down, you can't do much about that without creating more damage. But if you have people in your family who are difficult, it's that much more important that you allow influences into your life that can elevate you, that can pick you up. You can't change another person, but you can certainly intentionally change who you spend time with. And so he says, For many of us, our happiness is being blocked and our success is being affected because we're in that path of people who miss it, who get it wrong. And I want to have some people in my life who inspire me to continue to move forward. And I also want to be that kind of person as well. So you don't take the bad advice, walk not in the counsel of the wrong, or stand around with those who are sinners, those who who miss the point. But then he says, or sit, settle down in the seat of the scornful. Again, that if you're not careful, you look at life, you can become so jaded, you can become so like everywhere I look, there's so much hypocrisy, so much, oh, what's going on? Check the news. Oh no, this sky is falling, this is happening, that's happening, what's gonna happen here? And I just I I at some point just to cope, I just stop taking it seriously. I become completely cynical. I all I can say about current events is to joke about it, because it's like, oh, I'm bombarded with all of this stuff that will suck me under and my survival technique is to just become scornful. Just, I mean, that's the essence of humor to a degree. And we all need it. It's healthy when it's in a balance, but you need to be able to laugh at things. When In our society today, you're not allowed to laugh at anything. That's not healthy. But at the same time, if life is just a joke to you because that's the way that you cope you'll never really find that fulfillment and that happiness either. And so our cynicism is a reminder that the more it gets that way, the less likely we are to be finding the fulfillment that comes from life, finding the success that God has for us. Now this is something, and every week I I select scriptures that I need. So, you know, cynicism is something that is a big problem that I've always had. Early on, as a young person, the way I coped with stuff was just a you know, what do you expect? Yep, there you go, that's how it happens. I remember, it really hit me one time, I was on Pastor's Perspective with Pastor Chuck, and a lady called in and she goes, Pastor Chuck, what do you think about Christians and cynicism? And he goes, well, Dave. <laughs> and I'm like, what he goes? You're the most cynical person I know. Why don't you take this one? <laughs> and at first I was like, "Yeah, you're darn right," you know. But then I'm like, "How you know, sad that somebody sees you are so jaded that everything has become a laughing matter to you. That's not healthy. That will never. The kind of laughing that when I, you know, when like." The House of Representatives finally elects a new speaker. And 10 minutes later, I have 20 emails and text messages from them That's asking me for money. That's funny to me. But I don't know, should it really be? Do I feel good after laughing at that kind of nonsense? Or do I just go, oh, well, it is what it is. It's fine. It's going to roll off of me. I don't need to, you know to get overly consumed with it, to laugh it off like it's nothing. It is what it is, but I want to move forward because I have a life to live. So sitting in the seat of the scornful, when you become too jaded, when you become too cynical, it's a sign that you've already, because of your programming from those around you, the bad advice you've taken, the people that you hang around that pull you under, that ultimately, this is what's left, is cynicism. And cynicism never makes someone successful, unless you're a comedian, and now poor comedians. How can they possibly even make a joke because they'll be attacked for it? So he starts out, you want to be happy? You want to be successful? Take these filters, eliminate the bad advice. Eliminate the people around you that don't lift you up and build you up and encourage you. And then, finally, check your cynicism at the door. Stop doing that. It steals life from you. So then he goes on and says, after you've eliminated those three joy stealers, then here's what you do. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It's why we're doing the series that we're doing. It's why we teach the Bible every single week, because the law of the Lord is foundational for us to find the life that God ultimately has for us, to help us become the people that we can potentially be, so that we can find success. The scriptures promise so much about success coming from following after God. So, after we've kind of tried to eliminate all the junk, now it's like what does God's word have to say to me? And it doesn't say, you know, to study the word of God and then you'll be happy and successful. But to delight in the word of God. You know, I all the time growing up, I loved studying the word cuz it helped me win arguments. And really, as a younger Christian and as a young pastor, I'd love to get in fights about the Bible. It's not what he's talking about. It's like, are you enjoying this? Are you taking, finding pleasure and fulfillment and encouragement? Is the Bible changing your attitude? Is the Bible changing your perspective? Is the Bible letting you know that there's hope? that things can get better, that you, whatever you're facing in life, you can get through this. Man, I love how the Bible can do that. The Bible is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, but it's living. That means God knows not only what I'm healing from, he knows what's coming in the future. And I'm amazed how many times when I read the Bible every day, and I really begin to meditate on it, it's, it's not just reading it, but it's memorizing some of it and going over and over it and putting it into different contexts. I'm amazed how it addresses my past and helps me to address my past in a healthy way. But I'm amazed also how it knows, the spirit knows what's gonna happen to me later on today and tomorrow. And so those seeds are planted that ultimately become helpful for my future. So the Word of God, meditating on it. We're so blessed today that we have the Word of God on tape, you know, read by pretty much everybody you can think of. You can hear James Earl Jones reading the Bible to you, or there's probably one of Pee Wee Herman reading the Bible to you, if you prefer it. But it's like, it's in our phones. It's not just on a shelf. We have to take it down and read it. It's so accessible and once we put it into our minds, we can meditate on it, it becomes better and more rich. I love this Psalm 1, but I love it more after spending the last you know week and a half meditating on it than I did before. And this isn't like the first time I've taught on this psalm. But every time it brings something rich and refreshing and it gives me hope for the future. It makes me think, wow, it's true. Yeah, I'm. as it warns me about stuff, I'm like, oh boy, yeah, that's me. I've, I've endured that. I've be, that has influenced me. I've hung around with the wrong people, listened to the wrong people. I'm, but then here's this hope that comes, the promises that come along with it. So he says, Delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night, and the result is amazing. He said, You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season. Its leaf won't wither, whatever it does will prosper. Can you imagine? Whatever you do can succeed, can be successful. How could life be any better than that? And this is a promise from God. The very first of 150 psalms makes that promise. Now, what is it that he's actually promising? It's important to understand. It's not just saying that if you meditate on the Scriptures, automatically your life will be fruitful. Automatically you will succeed. No, if you can meditate on the Scriptures all you want... And if you're not planted in the right place as a response to the leading of the Spirit, you will fail. If you decide, man, I'm just in the Word so much, but then I really would like to be a bank robber, you know, or a lawyer. I'm kidding, Steve. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, you have to be planted in the right place. It's so strategic here. It's like... So through the word of God, what are you looking for? I'm looking for God to show me where am I supposed to be where I can be the most fruitful? This is something that we rarely think about because we feel like we're pushed in a direction. We become what we become. It's like kind of too late for us now. People who are older like me or even people who are younger are like, yeah, they're only, you know, most... Most college students pick their majors based on looking at which one has the most job opportunities. What a terrible way to decide what to invest your life in. Besides that, a whole lot of things can change. You know, ask your realtor friends. But it can go up and down. But what the psalmist is talking about here is there's a way in which you can be in connection with God where he will find you that perfect place. You're planted by the river of water. You can have a perfectly good plant, and some of you have experienced this, you put the wrong plant in the wrong place in your yard, and it'll die. It was perfectly healthy where it was planted. I mean, we have, I love Plumeria plants. I think they're beautiful. They're all over Hawaii. We have some plumerias over here in our planter against this wall. And people always, they look at them, they're beautiful. And it's like, wow, how do those things stay so healthy? Because every time I plant plumerias, they die. And we go, it's God. No, but it it also turns out, (laughs) it's like where they are against that wall in that indentation, they get a whole lot of moisture. They're protected from a lot of the sun. But then the wall that they're planted against, it turns out, Jerry explained this to me, is that it radiates heat on into the evening, so it simulates a tropical condition. The combination of the wall, the planter, the angles, makes that plumeria planted in a place where it's going to thrive. Your life is the same way. If you're planted in the wrong place. It's not your fault, it's nobody else's fault. It's like, we all have an ideal place to be planted where our roots can get water and we can be nourished and we can find fruitfulness. But the great thing is, if I am, again, running through those filters, you know, eliminate the bad advice, eliminate the associations with people who are not a positive influence in my life. Bring myself to the point of, of I want to move forward in his word, I'm meditating on it, I'm considering it, I'm spending time with him, and now I am saying, God, where's my place? Chances are, for an awful lot of people, you don't discover your place when you're younger. When you're younger, you take the job that's offered to you. Maybe you go work for your parents, or maybe you're like first job you heard about you took. I mean, I, when I was like 12 and 13, I worked in a gas station, and I really loved it. Um, I liked the mechanical aspects of it. I liked the people I could hang around with. I liked that you know I could drive cars and motorcycles long before I had a license because there was nobody really supervising me. I liked being able to smoke and, and you know not, not, have, not being in trouble. Uh, there was so much about the job that, that I liked and it was actually good for me at that age, for the most part. It was a bad influence in some ways too. But I would not want to work in a gas station today. I, I just, I'm thankful for that season and the things that I learned, but at the same time, I moved on to other things. And so I began to adjust my expectations as God led me to end up doing what I've done in life. Now, I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to any job that I've ever had, but I look at what I get to do today, and today only, and go, I can actually, I mean, after first service, I get a couple text messages from people that I really care about who tell me that, man, you really encouraged me today. I'm like, that's cool. That's fruitful. That made it worth whatever I had to go through to experience a message that might be painful for me at times. But at the same time, it's like, wow. I mean, maybe I make a difference in somebody's life. And there's nothing that's more of a blessing than that. Um, But I can't look back. If I look back at my life, I have so many regrets about the way that I lived life except all of the decisions that I made, even all of the bad decisions, even bad decisions in ministry, all brought me to the point where I can do what I'm doing right at this minute. And I feel like even if today was the only day that I made a difference, I made a difference in a couple people's lives. What more could you ask for? What could make you happier, more fulfilled? And for me, that's what success looks like. It's going to be the same for you. Don't look at your life as a failure unless you're dead, in which case, please get out of here. But (laughs) if you're still alive, you still have time. And for many people, they end up discovering later that place of fruitfulness where they're planted. You can take something that grows fine in a pot, but it ends up needing to be planted in a different way. And I use this morning. I was thinking about um, a friend of mine, Curtis Smith, who goes to our church and he worked his whole life you know, for the government and doing technical stuff. And yet now he's retired. He retired young. And he helps do all of our outreach related stuff at church. And I see him and he's so much happier and more fulfilled than he was when he was working for the government. Working for the government gave him a pension that allowed him to be able to afford to work for us for nothing But I see him doing what he does now, and you see the pictures of him taking people to the food pantries and things like that and the outreaches and the missions, and it's like he knows this is what I was born to do. This is what success looks like. And you may find that there is something in life that God is leading you to that it may take you a while to get there, but when you do it, you just go, this is what fulfillment feels like. This is what success feels like. While you're raising your kids, you may not feel successful. When you see who your kids become, ultimately, then you may go, now I feel successful. Now I see what happens. Life is just that way. But if we don't, but also, again, it takes time. You know, it happens in due season. Everything that grows has to not grow and prepare and take in nutrients and, and you don't plant a tree and then all of a sudden, boom, fruit comes out. You plant a tree, you nurture it, you take care of the soil. You make ch- If you need to, you even transplant it to another location. And that's the imagery that the psalmist is using. That in the end, as you really eliminate all the bad information and the bad people who were bad influences on you, and now you just look at the word of God and you meditate on it, you may see your life starts to take shape. And it doesn't matter how long it takes for that to happen. It's just it would be tragic to live your whole life and never feel like, this is what I was born to do. This is who I've become, and I'm grateful for this. Whatever he does will prosper because he's planted in the right place. And I think we should always be asking God, even as we're meditating on his word, am I planning in the right place? Am I surrounding myself by people who are helping support me, who, who believe in me, who encourage me? Do I have some role models in my life that I can you know, follow after? All of these things lead us to find our place. And finding your place is everything. So to be happy... To be successful, eliminate all the things that steal that from you, focus on his word, and then seek his leading and the leading of the Spirit in helping you to be planted in the place where you're able to be fruitful. That makes you happy. That is what success looks like. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and these reminders. I thank you that for every one of us, we're not done yet. So if some of us aren't happy right now, help us to take your advice, the advice of the psalmist, to intentionally reject the bad influences that got us where we are, to focus on your living word, and to find that place by staying flexible and open to your spirit, to look for our place, that whatever our role is to be in the world, that we'll find this this is a big world and I'm just a small tree in it, but I want my tree to be planted where it can bear fruit. And that is success. Help us to pursue that by your spirit, through your word, in every way possible. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.